Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Point and Click Radio. I'm Bob Lawton. And I'm Jim Hyde on the coast. We've got an hour ahead of us of computer news and views, updates on all things digital. And uh, what are we going to start out with, Jim? And and your calls and questions. We've oh, through a couple of uh, not the least stories, and then we want to open up the phones and take calls, questions, comments as we sprinkle in news items throughout the show. Um, well, we're going to start with broadband because that's something that is always of interest to people in this part of the world because this is a broadband-starved area for a lot of people. The lack of fast internet is a um, is a is a real limitation. Um, particularly in pandemic times where um, kids are learning at home via Zoom and the people are working at home and often meeting with people in Zoom or meeting with their doctors via Zoom and other video conferencing tools. Anyway, just a few days ago, um, Governor Gavin Newsom announced his plans for a multi-billion dollar investment in public broadband infrastructure. It is a plan that I'm reading here from an article in the Electronic Frontier Foundation's EFF.org. It's a plan that would give California one of the largest public broadband fiber networks in the country. The proposal now heads to the legislature to be ratified by June 15th by a simple majority. And the basic gist of it is that one of the big challenges in bringing Internet to rural areas, well, there are two. Um, one is what's called the last mile problem, and that is how to get internet, which might be fast internet, might be going down the street where you live or on a nearby street, but you might live a half mile down a gravel road. And uh, how do you get that from there to your place? That's often called the last mile problem. But there's another problem called the middle mile, and that is... Um, almost like uh, the, 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 the feeder roads. If you imagine the Internet as a, as a highway, the information superhighway, you've got your yeah. big Interstate 4s and uh, 5s, I should say, and, and Interstate 80s, and then you've got the roads that lead to those roads, <clears throat> and those are kind of called, the, in the Internet world, the middle mile, and those are the, um, the, the, the function that connects distant communities to one another. And one of the big aspects of uh, the Newsom plan, which is in the latest state proposed budget, is to uh, for the state to build out the middle mile infrastructure with fiber optics um, that the, the EFF says would would uh, handle rural internet news through uh, throughout the uh, through the start of the 22nd century at least. So. Um, the legislature still uh, is pending. It's, it needs to only be passed by a simple majority. It's a $7, million, $7 billion investment, and um, we can just hope that it, uh, it, it gets passed and, that the, number, and that, the num- that the money is well spent, which... Well, that's always the, that's always the, the tricky part, the tricky part. There's always yeah. the last mile, and then there's always those dollars that suddenly aren't available because of poor planning or overspending or who knows what or lobbying by telecommunications company who say well thank you very much for making that nice fi- uh, glass fiber uh, optical super highway now we'll take it over <laughs> you yeah, know right 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 and be the sole or, provider or something like that that seven billion dollar fund would pay for a new set of china for my jet <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <clears throat> well i have to uh 
reflect back on a couple of years ago when my wife and I traveled to Norway with a friend and we went to this place that was way, it was, it was still below the Arctic Circle, but it was getting close. It was getting pretty cool out. And uh, <laughs> it was in a fjord and it's really well known because the town is named Flom and it's at the end of the Flom Railroad, which is supposed to be one of the world's most beautiful train rides because it goes up through all these Norwegian glaciers. Mm. But we, um, Got off the ferry boat and walked around, and then we went for a little stroll through the town. And it was a tiny little town with, you know, cottage-like houses all along both sides of an asphalt road that was like you'd see your typical road, you know, like Kamchi Ukaya Road or something like that. Not, not, not a super highway, not a major thoroughfare. And they had channeled through the asphalt down the middle of the road, and they were laying in and tarring over a, fire, a fiber optic trunk line. And right up at every house, they would have a little channel through the asphalt that would go right up inside the fence of, or, or you know, or the gate of the house, and they would have a drop right, you know, practically to the doorstep wow. of this fiber optics. And they were just doing it. I mean, it was just a public works project. You could tell wherever they started in Oslo or, you know, Trondheim or one of those major cities, they had managed to, to branch all the way out to this tiny little town and, um, you know, on the north coast of Norway, out in the middle of literally nowhere, people were getting their fiber optics. And uh, I just think this is amazing. And I think it is... European countries are so far ahead of us in broadband. Far faster speeds for far less price, for far far less money. And the large reason is because the governments have subsidized it. Yeah, Yeah, because they realize the advantages it has for their citizens. Yep, exactly. Anyway, um, I, I, you mentioned one thing about future-proofing, and I, I, it popped into my mind about Roman aqueducts. They were pretty future-proof because they're still using them in places, you know, 2,500 years after they were installed. Maybe 2,500 years from now, these fiber uh, channels will still be working, carrying signals back and forth. Wouldn't that be and, wonderful? And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some conduit tacked underneath some of those aqueducts carrying fiber optic <laughs> yes. cables. Yeah. Speaking of broadband, um, in related news, yes, uh, the federal government wants to help pay your internet bill. Fifty dollars a month. My bill? Well, if you're eligible, it's a it's a uh, it was it's a, a little part of the most recent um, stimulus package, and it's called the Emergency Broadband Benefit or EBB. It was launched a couple of weeks ago. That will help a surprisingly wide range of people hit economically by the coronavirus pandemic to pay the internet bill. It will pay $50 a month toward the cost of your internet service, and it's available to all families who lost some income in the last year and who earn less than $198,000, among others. There are a lot of different eligibility criteria um and we're not going to go through them over the internet but um or over the show <laughs> over the sh- the air i should say well with the, you are coming over the internet jim <laughs> that's this is true but the long and the short of it is yes. that um if you believe you qualify if you were affected uh, economically by the pandemic um or, or if your income is such that you think you qualify you are entitled to get a 50 dollar per month discount until the money runs out is what this Washington Post article um, says. And that, of course, is going to depend on how many people sign up because that's the thing. You have to know about it, which now you do, and you have to sign up for it. 
And the best way to do that is to go to the government's, uh, the government's website where you sign on. And um, basically the easiest way to find it is to just search for, go to the search engine of your, uh, your, uh, the search engine of your choice and do a search for the phrase emergency broadband. Emergency broadband. And the very top hit will almost certainly be a website created by the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, that uh, talks about what the benefit is about, has a little frequently asked questions section. It lists the various broadband providers that have elected to participate, which is you know pr pretty much all of the, uh, the major ones. I don't know about smaller local um, ISPs like Pacific Internet or like MCN or Further Reach, um, that's a, that would be an interesting question. If you get your internet from a local smaller provider, um, it's worth doing a little bit of research to see if that's eligible. But hey, it's a chance to get fifty bucks off your internet um, until, uh, as I said, until the until the piggy bank runs dry. Now, would this apply to people's cell phones if that's their main way of connecting to the internet? Um, so that I it would, don't know. Would come off your K, your uh, cell phone bill rather than an ISP bill, or is it just for people that have? That's a good. That's a good question for the, for the frequently asked questions page on the FCC's website. But like I said, go to your favorite search engine and do a search for the phrase "emergency broadband," and it will get you a. Uh, it'll get you lots and lots of details. Wow, this is interesting. I wonder if it is mostly, the money is mostly going to go to like people like Verizon and Comcast and if there'll be a lot of red tape if you have, uh, you know, Ukiah Wireless or Willits Online or MCN or something right. like that. Oh, no, I just, I just went to the FCC website and um, if you live on tribal lands, the uh, total discount is up to $75. Wow, okay. That's that much better. Um, now, the list of broadband providers, yeah, it's a whole bunch of, um, well, it's just, you know, I mean, it's it's obviously all the big ones you've heard about, but it's also small ones like the North Alabama Electric Co-op, uh, PCs for People in Mobile, Alabama. Um, I'm looking in California. That's, I, I want them to be my ISP, PCs for People. <laughs> yeah, I want them. I want that. I'll, I'll see if I can get an account with them. Yeah. Well, exactly. you sent me a link about Verizon, and um, yes. apparently there's been some blowback. Uh, Verizon, it says they're requiring customers to call a phone line to register for the EBB, this uh, $50 a month uh, subsidy, rather than just signing up online. And when you do, Verizon pulls out the... Uh, you know the used car salesman and starts running you through the drill and says well you can't use that with an old data plan we'll have to you know up switch you to a a snazzier plan um, and by snazzy you mean more expensive more expensive yes with more bells and whistles and high you know higher bandwidth caps and all that um, and apparently it's allowed by the letter of the law and it certainly is not as they write in the Washington Post article not in the spirit of the program so we'll have to stay on top of this I would yeah. I think um, and that uh, figure you quoted $198,000 is that family income income per family per person I believe so I believe that's uh -huh. family income okay 
But but probably, yeah, all the details, all the details can be found on the website. Yeah. And I'm looking at this listing, and I'm not seeing a lot of local, smaller. The North Coast Internet, which does serve this area, mm-hmm. um, Sonic, um, which serves at least areas south of this, yeah. um, Santa Rosa area, and and, and so forth. Um, Comcast, of course, a lot of people around here have Comcast, who are fortunate enough to be able to live within cable um, reach. But I'm not seeing companies like further reach i'm not seeing um mcn and of course i don't know about starlink which is a national or international the new satellite service and that's a that's a provider right that's if you have the starlink system that that is your isp that is your internet provider absolutely so it's worth doing a little research and um, it could be worth $50 a month to you. But, yeah, Verizon is doing the slimy thing by trying to say, oh, you know, the program you have, uh, the, the data plan you have, or the Internet plan have you have is not eligible. But I can sell you this one, which ultimately you'll end up paying $50 a month more anyway. Yeah, this is reminding me of the airlines and their economy fares where if you um – trip going up the stairs or getting on the airplane or, they'll void your you know you'll lose your ticket i mean it's or, just one of those things air. yes <laughs> if you want to now, i did see in the uh, in the uh, in this washington post article that talks about verizon shenanigans um they did say that comcast was doing the right thing and they quoted a, a comcast representative as saying yeah whatever plan you've got they'll what? honor it oh yeah uh, and somebody in the comments said boy it takes a lot to make comcast look good <laughs> Well, I would put my money on Verizon making Comcast look good. Yeah. Indeed. Well, um, once again, was there a, a web address at um, FCC that you... Um, the best thing to do is just go to your favorite search engine and do a search for emergency broadband. Emergency broadband. Okay. We'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recommend our listeners do it. And tell your friends, too, when you know if you're talking to people this week and they um you know have suffered any financial loss or or lack of work due to the uh pandemic this is what this is this is for them this is for you and for them if you uh qualify for this so yeah um, for sure 50 bucks a month for your internet who could pass that up 50 dollars discount yeah discount yes discount, discount. off your and if you want to if you want the actual you uh, web address it's get emergency broadband.org get emergency broadband.org oh okay uh, they also recommend, the FCC also recommends contacting your provider to see what their application process is. Oh, so directly. If you don't, if you, if you have a local provider that I, whose name I did not mention, um, you can send them a support email or give them a call and say, hey, do you guys participate in this program? Yeah. Good luck calling the phone for your local ISP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you may need, yeah. need to park on the front door. Park it, like park that. by their front door when they come into work. Yeah, if there anybody. But we'll keep there. you posted on what's going on with the emergency broadband benefit and with uh, with uh, Governor Newsom's proposed broadband investment infrastructure um, that's going to be voted on um, by the middle of uh, the middle of June. So we'll wow. have some news about that in the next month or so. That's really exciting news, actually. I'm looking forward to that that happening. And if you just tuned in, this is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show with Bob Lawton in Ukiah and yours truly, Jim Hyde, on the coast. We're here every couple of weeks sharing news and views about computer news and computers and all things digital and also taking calls and questions and answering your computer questions 
Wow, it says the cable lobby has long viewed fiber broadband as an existential threat to their high-speed broadband monopolies. The cable lobby. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation's technical analysis by our engineering team, found that fiber optics as a transmission medium vastly surpasses anything coaxial cable will be capable of doing simply as a matter of physics. That's why more than one billion fiber lines are being laid across advanced Asian nations from South Korea to China. Yeah, that's we it. need fiber. Yeah, they know what to do. Don't let monopolies stand in your way of getting a... And get, to be sure, the United States is a huge, geographically huge, and often geographically complicated country in terms of mountains and canyons and the like. Um, and European countries have been able to build out broadband more aggressively in part because they're much smaller of course as i said also because of government um, yeah. involvement. So, but i mean they've got alps and stuff like that standing in their way they, they, they do challenges yeah that is true and indeed a lot of uh, great plain states uh states like canada and uh, canada states like canada yeah. states like kansas and uh, and iowa have amazing rural internet options because they're flat yes <laughs> you know, it's, completely it's, flat yeah, it's really. easier just roll that cable out in, in all directions yeah i guess so well we'll see it's a good this will be a good story to keep on top of because it, it definitely will have an effect uh on our local uh community absolutely okay it is what now seven twenty in the evening on point and click radio with jim and bob and let's open up the phone lines if anybody has any questions or comments and especially if you downloaded that starlink app to try your uh line of sight to the to the satellites uh, i'd love yeah. to hear from anybody who has been uh toying with the idea of getting those uh low orbit uh satellite internet connections do you have any about a Go ahead. There's, a lot, there's another launch about a week ago. Another 60 satellites went up. Wow. It usually takes two or three months for them to actually reach what they call their parking orbit. No kidding. They have very weak thrusters, ion thrusters. Oh. Largely kind of non-toxic thrusters. Yes. That um, once the satellites are released from the rocket, then the ion thrusters kick in, and it takes about two to three months—uh, two to three months—for them to get to their parking orbits and to become operational. Oh, so when they when they take them up in one of Elon's uh, rockets, they just sort of open the window and fling them out, and then they have to find their uh, way to their to their point of uh, of parking. If par you haven't parking? watched. If you haven't watched a SpaceX launch, if oh. you are a rocket geek or a space program geek like I am, they're all over YouTube. Go, go to YouTube and just do search for SpaceX. Okay. And um, they're amazing on a, front, a, a few fronts. For one thing, they're so media savvy. They've got cameras everywhere. They've got cameras strapped onto every part of the rocket. So oh, geez. It happens as the rocket is taking off. You see the ground recede and the smoke billowing, you know, and the steam billowing uh, away. Um, then once the, uh, the, the, the main booster separates, they go to a split screen with one camera on the booster, one camera on the second stage. You see its engine light up. The cone of the of the rocket engine glows red, and then you see the booster flying itself, falling back toward Earth. And after a couple of minutes, 
the booster's rocket, its, its engines start back up again, and you see the booster land itself on a drone ship in the middle of the ocean. On so a ship? To, it lands on a ship? On a floating drone ship, an unmanned, unoccupied drone ship. So, yes, we live in an era, an age, when there are things called drone ships. Drone ships. <laughs> And then after a little while, I, I, the, the, reigning, the remaining part of the rocket, uh, a fairing, a big cover, falls away. And that also falls back to Earth and gets reused. And then 60 satellites are mounted in this big uh, frame. And the whole frame just kind of floats away. And over time, each one, each satellite just kind of parts and goes its own way. And that's a deploy. That is a deployment of this batch of 60 satellites. So they just become, then, they just get undocked from the frame and float away? Is that how that works? Yeah. And what, happens, ions, what happens to the, the frame? Ions, is it space junk? I don't know what happens to the frame. Well, all of this stuff is so low that it's all going to burn. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. It will, it will burn up It'll upon burn up. re-entry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not going to be floating there. So it's, you know, it's just gets recycled. other satellites. It gets recycled on the way down. In a way, it does. So yes. this all, and and like every object in this in this launch has cameras all over it. So one camera can take a picture of the other ob object module or whatever as they're parting from each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. These are very social rockets. They're they <laughs> they are indeed. Yes. And they, I mean, the live streams, hundreds of thousands of people watch them. You could because you know, oh, see bet. the little viewer account. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so so after after a batch of satellites is, is deployed, then each satellite, then this little ion thruster kicks in and it sends it sends it another hundred miles or so into space and into its final. Oh, oh, so it has to go up another 100 miles or so from when it gets... Uh, I don't know if it's exactly 100. But, but that's quite know. a distance for those little little bitty ion thrusters, because these things are about yeah. the size of a large shoebox, aren't they? The satellites are they're, they're bigger than that. They're actually they're almost the size of like a, oh, a small riding mower, if there is such a thing. Oh, the, the Starlink... Um yeah, they're not little cube sets. Oh, they're, they're not the cube sets. Okay, so they they are big, bigger bigger than a bread box. <laughs> they're they're, they're uh, yes, they're they're. Uh, but smaller than a bread truck. <laughs> <laughs> well said. In between a bread box and a bread, I know I know that zone. Yeah, in between exactly. a bread box and a bread truck. Exactly. So, um, getting a little bit closer to Earth, how 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 is the system working out? What have you heard from people that are using it and? Um, What's the feedback from, uh, do they have happy customers? Does it seem to be working? Yeah, they've got, you know, I, I pay attention to the uh, Starlink forums on uh, Reddit, and um, people who have it love it, largely because people either had no fast internet at all, or they had old school uh, satellite internet where it's much slower and has data caps where if you you know do too much in a month they throttle you way way down yes old um, school tear your hair out satellites exactly yes. like hughes and and viasat and exceed so uh, generally people are very happy with it you know it's it's still in beta it's not fully you know operational yet because they're still launching satellites and still building out the network so there are occasional downtimes. They don't seem to be very long. It's still a little bit sensitive about 
obstructions where your location, where the little dish is actually located. Right. Which will, they say, the company says that as more satellites get launched, that will become less sensitive because there'll be more satellites that can see where you are and where, and you can see them. But it's, you know, I think it's a game changer. I strongly believe, and I always encourage people, support the local internet providers first. If you can get fast internet from a local company, do that rather than putting another few dollars into Elon Musk's pocketbook. But if you can't, then for whatever reason, where your, where your location doesn't allow for wireless internet or you can't, uh, uh, you know, you can't get cable and you'd like to or whatever the reason, um, then I think Starlink is very much worth considering. Yes, indeed. We had somebody trying to call in. Let's go to the phones if anybody wants to call. We're here at 895-2448, point-and-click radio with Jim and Bob. And we've been talking about uh, high-speed broadband internet and a chance to get $50 per month to defray the cost of your internet if you go to the government's new, um, I don't know, what do you call it? What kind of program is it? Subsidy, relief, um, funding? Yeah, stimulus. Stimulus, yes. Yeah. $50 a month to defray the cost of your internet connection if you qualify. And um, what was that website? Go, no. It's um, getemergencybroadband.org. Getemergencybroadband.org, yes, that's it. Yeah. So, um Apple has been in the news in a couple of ways lately, um, on the plus side and on the, on the yes, not so plus side. Not so plus. On the plus side, we've been talking a lot about the new privacy do not track features in the latest versions of the iPhone and iPad operating systems, uh, 14.5, where when you go to a website that wants to track you or you use an app that wants to track you, the, uh, the device will throw up a little message saying, uh, this basically, uh, will you allow this site or app to track you or not? And you can either deny or allow the tracking. Well, a company has done a study that has shown that so far, 96% of users in the United States are opting out or saying do not track and uh only four percent i want to know who the four percent of people well, are saying yeah go ahead and track me why not they probably work for facebook yeah it could be it could be facebook and google could get up to four percent of the <laughs> who, yeah. who knows the new data comes from a an, an analytics company owned by verizon our friends at verizon wow and um, it's a, an analytics data that claims to be used in more than a million mobile apps. And the company says that based on the data from those apps, that U.S. users agree to be tracked only 4% of the time. The global number is significantly higher at 12%, but that's still below some advertising companies' estimates. The global number is 12% have opted to be tracked? In Yes. To be tracked. Wow. To be tracked. 
which yeah. is kind of interesting, and I don't know what, how to read, what to read into that, if anything. I wonder but. if Verizon got those statistics by tracking people. <laughs> well, they did, yes, because those uh, apps were on their, on their devices. Yeah. So uh, it's not really any surprise. I think when you ask people, do you want to be tracked, <laughs> people tend to say, no, I don't. The problem is that up to now, websites haven't been forced to ask that question. And um, so, thumbs up for Apple on that one. Um, thumbs down for Apple on the next one, though. He, um, Apple, a New York Times article that appeared uh, just a couple of days ago on Monday. Apple compromises in China. To stay on the good side of Chinese authorities, the company has made decisions that contradict its carefully curated image. And they're and, uh, the New York Times did a big investigation that revealed how Apple is risking its Chinese customers' data and aiding the Chinese government's censorship. And the article presents five takeaways. Number one, Apple stores customer data on Chinese government servers. So Apple is storing the data of its customers in China on servers that are owned by the Chinese government. Number two, Apple now shares customer data with the Chinese government. U.S. law long prohibited Apple from turning over data for the, to the Chinese authorities, but because Apple moved their data to China, Apple created a legal arrangement with the Chinese government that gets around the U.S. laws. Number three, Apple proactively removes apps to placate Chinese officials. Apple has created an internal bureaucracy that rejects or removes Apple's uh, apps that the company believes could run afoul of Chinese rules. Apple trains its app reviewers and uses special software to inspect apps for any mention of topics Apple has deemed off-limits in China, including Tiananmen Square, Falun Gong, the Dalai Lama, Independence for Tibet, and Taiwan. Next up, number four, Apple bans apps from Apple banned apps from a Communist Party critic. In 2018, China's internet regulators ordered Apple to reject an app for a, from a Chinese billionaire who had broadcast claims of corruption inside the Communist Party. And finally, tens of thousands of iPhone apps have disappeared from the App Store in China. Since 2017, roughly 55,000 apps have disappeared from Apple's App Store in China, with most remaining available in other countries. Wow. 35,000 of those were games in which China must get approval from regulators. The remaining 20,000 cut across a wide range of categories, including foreign news outlets, gay dating services, and encrypted, encrypted messaging apps. Apple also blocked tools for organizing pro-democracy protests and skirting Internet restrictions, as well as apps about the Dalai Lama. Yeah, those um, those uh, encrypted uh, messaging apps were uh, real, really popular when they were having those uprisings in Hong Kong. Remember the protests in Hong Kong? Yeah, they came yeah. down hard on that. Well, it's it's a dilemma. I mean, what's Apple going to do? They have to turn their back a on about fifty billion dollars annually in business that they get from China, and b 
be. That's where all their stuff is made. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't know. You kind of, I guess you kind of have to kind of do a deal with the devil. But I'm glad that the New York Times kind of shined a light on this. Well, yeah. Apple does such a good job of safeguarding user privacy, customer privacy in countries where they're allowed to. Where they're allowed um, to, yeah. And it is it is regrettable that, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, you're right. Strictly, be, strictly speaking, as a corporation, their hands are tied. Um, but as a company that makes such a... Um, uh, statement of pride about their uh, privacy. It's very much talking out of both sides of their mouths. It's very hypocritical. It is. It is. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you're dealing with the Chinese. <laughs> that's not an easy. <laughs> that's a that's a real uh, challenge because uh, you know they have a, a lot of things that they're being criticized by the world community for the the treatment of the Uyghur Muslim population and. Uh, yeah, the uh, oh yeah, the uh, human rights violations, the work conditions of the workers that are putting those phones together. I don't know if Apple could actually go in there and and say, well, let's pay our workers twice. You know, they, they might not even be able to do that, even if they want. There, there's some the, after a, there was another investigation some years ago about um, the working conditions for uh, people in some of the factories that are building Apple products. And a some kind of industry consortium was formed aimed at you know improving worker conditions and allowing more re uh, worker representation. And Apple has been um, you know a big force in that. Are those workers being paid what they should be paid, and are they living in the living conditions that they should be living in? Many of whom live in vast dormitories that are located on the campuses of some of these big, massive um, factories. Well, probably not. Um, I, I think Apple is trying to do the right thing, as are a lot of companies, not all, but, but a lot of big uh, U.S. tech companies, trying to do the right thing with respect to that. Um, but the whole, what I find bothersome in this case is just the, um, we're a very privacy-minded company, but we won't say that to you in Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't expect yeah. us to translate our terms of use uh, agreement exactly. word for word, I know. Yeah. It's 36 minutes uh, after the hour here on Point and Click Radio. The phone lines are open if you want to call us and you've got a comment or a question of, on su any subject relating to all things digital, give us a buzz at 895-2448, 895-2448. We've got about, uh, about 20 minutes or so left in tonight's show. Yes, and um, what's the good news with Apple? The tracking. The tracking. The tracking, yes. Yeah, the fact that 96% right. of people who are using iOS 14.5 or um, iPad OS 14.5 are saying, don't track me. Now, uh, Amazon is partnering with Tile. Did you hear about that? No. Amazon is partnering with Tile, the... Uh, what do they call those little round disks that find things when you're lost? Tracking tiles? I can't remember. Yeah. What. Yeah. yeah. Well, they call them tiles. Tiles. <laughs> what? Right. But Apple... Apple calls them uh, um, um, uh, air tags. Air tags. That's right. Air tags. 
Um, Apple just came out with their new AirTags this past month, and um, there was blowback from the company Tile that has been making their own tags and has developed their own ecosystem to use the tags in with their own apps and their own technology. And apparently they're not compatible with the open standard that Apple has released because Apple is saying you can use your own third-party tags with our um, Find My app and it'll work kind of the way the tiles have been working, but not quite as good as the Apple tiles because they put some extra... Uh, features in that make it possible so that you can actually uh, find a tag directionally and and some more sophisticated things. So there was a talk of Tile suing Apple over uh, anti-competitive practices, but apparently Google is willing to work with Tile and work it into the, not Google, uh, Amazon is willing to work with Tile to work it into the Amazon uh, ecosystem, including the Alexa products and stuff like that so that'll be interesting yeah yeah and that's often the, the kind of thing that uh you know that 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 you're seeing there's you know there's apple and then there's other companies that are you know partnering with that with uh with companies like amazon um and google to uh kind of provide an alternative yeah so the poor person has an iphone and a whole drawer full of tile track tags <laughs> That's Who knows? Who knows how that's going to go? I haven't heard. On the Windows side of the fence, uh, there's a couple of news items worth mentioning. One is that Microsoft has said that they are going to discontinue supporting Internet Explorer. Rest in peace, Internet Explorer, or Internet Exploder, as a lot of people call it. Yes. Uh, starting next year, in 2022, Microsoft's new browser is called Edge. And it's available for um, Windows and the Mac. Did you know that there's a version no. of Edge available for the Mac? There's Mac there Edge. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually it's not it's not awful. I don't really know why you'd use it instead of any of the other browsers that are out there. I don't see a particularly compelling reason. I haven't ex- investigated enough to know that it, whether it has a you know. I'd be rub, curious about what kind of back rub while your website is loading or what. I don't know what what it's. I don't know. It'll bake you fresh cookies. <laughs> Maybe exactly. it doesn't track you. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe Wouldn't it, that be interesting? Yeah, we'd have to find that out. There's. I've been doing some research on on basically there's only maybe two or three major flavors of browser code, you know, the underpinnings that make a browser yeah. a browser, and then they're just uh, whipped up into the form of the of the distribution that you get, like Google Chrome, Apple Safari, um, Firefox, uh, Opera. There's another one that uses a uh, and and anyway, they call it the engine. It, this is the right. the core software that makes the browser work. And a lot of the privacy uh, and tracking uh, aspects or characteristics of these programs are kind of baked into the that. Uh, core software uh, that they develop and use to turn out the final final browser so it's interesting how that works yeah yeah it, it's a good way to think about it is uh is like with uh general motors cars how there'll be a the, a, a platform that 
Chevy uses, that Cadillac uses, that, well, Oldsmobile used to use when they were still around. And so did uh, Pontiac. <laughs> Pontiac and Buick. And my, my brother used to joke that the difference is how much chrome you pay for. <laughs> you know? Well, and how big the, the pistons are, the, the size of the engine. Because they can use that same, right. that same chassis, put a more yeah. powerful engine, snazzier sheet metal and uh, more gobs of chrome and just call it a different uh, like tier or level of car they went from chevy yeah. all the way up to cadillac and probably had three different sizes of chassis that they used for that whole line and so the browser the browser um what's the word i'm looking for you know the, the rendering the, the engine. rendering engine the rendering engine thank you jim yeah the there thing are only as you said there are only a couple of uh, or a few um uh rendering engines one is called chromium and it was developed by google one is called webkit and that's um one developed by apple and the browser manufacturers they don't they don't build their own engines because to build an engine and have it be compatible with all the websites that are out there and the various web standards that exist would be a huge, huge and and probably, well, not fruitless task, but it would be a huge and expensive job. So all the companies that make browsers, from Mozilla to Microsoft to Apple to Google to Brave, Firefox, they use one of those uh, engines and then they wrap the body around it and that's where you find the features that let you manage different tabs or have um, you know reader views that strip out all the ads and only show you the text uh, and some of the privacy and anti-tracking features not all of them but some of them and the plugins the plugins are important and the part plugins of and extensions and things right yeah yeah that's all uh, all up to the uh, final developer of the of the product and but, we always recommend you have several browsers installed. They're all free. And oftentimes, a good way to troubleshoot if there's something wrong, this website isn't working on my computer, it's not working, I can't get it to load, or it's, it, it looks weird, try that same website in a different browser and see if it's working there. Preferably one with a different rem rendering head. <laughs> it, true. Don't yes. go from Google Chrome to Brave or vice versa because they, they're both based on, on the Chromium uh, rendering engine, yeah. Yeah. But Microsoft Edge is a pretty nice browser. Anyway, but getting back to the story, Microsoft is going to discontinue support uh, next year for uh, forever. Um, and... Basically, that means that Apple is uh, uh, that my, Apple that Microsoft is or, uh, urging anyone who's still using Internet Explorer to um, download one of the new browsers, including, of course, they would love to uh, love for you to download Edge. Edge, yes, their new browser. There are places in the world where they have systems that were built around Internet Explorer version 6 that are just still hanging on by their fingernails, you know. Yeah, Huge investments setting up these uh, architectures to do specialized things in companies or factories or machine shops or medical laboratories or whatever where they just threw all their eggs into this one basket and it, it, it's just, this reminds me of the the y2k thing you know where they had to haul back out of retirement uh, all these cobalt exactly. programmers <laughs> exactly, to exactly. to try to get the uh, this creaky ancient uh, you know code that runs stuff out on that green bar stripe uh, you know punched uh, tractor feed paper <laughs> that's right. been right. cranking away for uh, 30 or 40 years 
We got yeah. a call coming in, Jim. Let's go to the phones. Right. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Well, no one. I wanted to thank you for that tip last week on going to uh, Pacific.net and using Classic and getting rid of using the search engine and getting rid of loads of emails. You did it. Good. Yeah, that really. And all of a sudden, um, my Thunderbird started working pretty well. Wow. All right. And after I just got rid of mass quantities of things. But then yesterday I went to, I was thinking, oh, this is wonderful. Because I like its format better than that or the uh, round cube one. I don't care for that format, but I Wait, you like Wait, you like which, the Thunderbird or the classic Pacific webmail? No, the modern, the, the Pacific.net modern webmail. That's the one called round cube. Round cube. You like yeah. that better? No, I, I don't. I was using it. I like Thunderbird better. Oh, okay. Of all those three. I do not like Classic because it is so slow. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it is It is a little clunky, but I like the search and toggle all features. I don't know if the newer RoundCube version has that or not. But no, I didn't find it. Yeah, see, if you, yeah. you, you did, so, it wasn't a web search. It was an internal inbox search, a mailbox search. That you, that yes. you did, yeah. Yes, and, on Pacific.net Classic. Yes, and that lets you just gang the whole bunch and delete them all in one click. It's just... Absolutely. And then I went to RoundCube, and I'd open an email. I'd get my list of emails, and I'd open one and go, that's it, and then go back over to Classic, get rid of all the rest of them. Yeah. And um, anyway, so but yesterday, Thunderbird for temporarily lost its mind again and uh, thought it was going to... Now, oh, now it's lost its mind again. It just now thinks it's going to download 22,558 email messages. After all that work you did, it still thinks... <laughs> but I don't think it's going to do that. It, no. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be okay, but there's definitely something wrong with it. And I tried doing what you suggested last week to go to Thunderbird and try to to uh, have it not automatically open mail. Oh, yeah. But I just couldn't find how to do that. It just wouldn't, I couldn't come up with anything that, well, is, where I could do that. What Did we talk about whether or not Thunderbird is in your startup items? Does it launch automatically when you start up your Mac? No. And I don't have a Mac oh. now. I've got a HP. Okay. Oh, and it does not automatically launch, no. But what it does automatically do is start, as soon as I open Thunderbird, it starts downloading. And then it downloads any time a single email comes in. Roundcube does that too, but it doesn't disable the whole program yeah. for long periods of time while it's doing it. You might want to do a web search on that. How can I have uh, yeah. Thunderbird not automatically download mail? Do you know anything about that, Jim? If it's, um, it sounds like something that would be in preferences somewhere, but I don't. I don't know specifics. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I tried doing the search and going to the help thing and um, following advice that other people had given as an answer to that question, and I didn't get anywhere. But if I could find preferences, maybe I could do it that way. 
I'm not sure to how to find preferences for Thunderbird. Well, it would be in the it would be in the Thunderbird um, menu. Oh uh, no, and uh, yeah, no, and not in Windows. It wouldn't be. It'd be under tool. Um, it probably under something called tools. Under tools, maybe if there's one. Okay. If you just examine each of the menus, you'll find a, uh, you'll more than likely find a preferences command there. I don't see oh, one. I sure see account that that settings really or activity manager. Um, no, don't see preferences. But um, I guess I could just noodle around some more. But yeah, um, you'll, have, you'll need to poke around and, and you know on your own to do that. Or or you know you could also consider switching to an e a different email program. I know. Well, Thund Thunderbird is Thunderbird is a Mozilla product, and uh, mm -hmm. they do have. Uh, if you go to support.mozilla.org, uh, oh. you can look for Thunderbird help. Okay, well, that might work. Yeah, go to support.mozilla.org. Um, support okay. And you can I look through a lot of um, helpful uh, configuration and, and troubleshooting uh, links. Okay, I'll try that one. And otherwise, I'll just keep doing what I've been doing this past week. Well, you're making progress. That's delightful. Yeah, I'm making progress. <laughs> and thanks so much for that tip. I really never thought of using the search bar on Classic Tube. And I knew about the toggle, but I didn't know about the search bar. Yeah, and the other thing is, if, if you want uh, one more tip about if you go back into the Classic, which, by the way, uses a program called Squirrel Mail. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel Mail is the old Pacific uh, .NET Classic. Roundcube is the new, snazzy, um, much more polished-looking uh, user interface. Yes. But it's it's not quite as for me. It's not quite as functional. Uh, but um, when you get your search results in the uh, Classic Mail interface, um, it doesn't sort. You don't have a sort option. But if you sort first. You can sort by sender, by subject, by date. If you sort first and then do the search, it'll go in the order of what your sort order was before you implemented the search. So that's a handy tip, too. Well, that's nice. good. And that reminds me of one more thing that's wrong lately with Classic is I used to have on the very far right a column of how large the file was. That's not there. Um, I, think there I can't sort by size. Um, no, you can, um, but you're going to have to go into your configuration. There, there's a, a configuration uh, icon that lets you change settings in that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks for calling. Okay. Keep keep us uh, posted on your progress. Thank you very much. Progress. Okay. Bye bye. I Thank you. Yeah. That's a real education in, in mail, mailbox management. Anybody listening that's got too many emails in your inbox and you're wondering how to get rid of them, uh, there's all kinds of tricks you can use. But my favorite is to search, sort search, and and then destroy <laughs> in that order. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's how you do it. It's a process. Eight nine five two four four eight. We got time for maybe one more call, maybe two more calls. It's getting close to eight o'clock uh, when we switch over the controls of this mighty ship to uh, Jamie Robertson radiogram coming up at eight. Um, you know, also on the Windows side, there is a new um, uh, Windows ten update um, just becoming available right now. Microsoft does uh, an update every uh, twice a year. 
where they add new features, kind of the way Apple does, or the way all the operating system companies do. Sometimes they'll add a bunch of new spiffy uh, features. Sometimes they'll fix bugs and make things just kind of run better and faster, um, or some combination of the two. Well, there's a update now available for Windows 10 users. Uh, Microsoft doesn't give them cool names like Big Sur or Catalina. They just call them the May 2021 update. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if you're a Windows 10 uh, user, um, you can get that update. What people are saying about it is that it falls into that kind of things just work better and have fewer bugs category. Oh, of, I love that. Update. Not a lot of new features. Yeah, I love that. They, I don't, don't, don't give me fe- new features. Make the ones that you've already given me more reliable and faster and all that stuff. Let's get another call in, Jim. Check that out. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Yes, hi. Uh, I, referring to the Starlink discussion earlier, uh, we're way out in the middle of nowhere waiting and on our hands, our pins and needles for us, the Starlink. And we signed up for it in January, but I heard your, your guy talking about people already have it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, depending on where you're located and and depending on whether or not I'll put it this way, whether Starlink needs you, because as they're building out their network, they're adding, uh, they're, they're kind of picking and choosing from the people who have uh, put down a deposit and service uh, and serving the people where they're located in areas where they think will help them build out and 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 debug iron out the kinks um, of their network so yeah there are people who signed up for it in january and, and february who already have it um there are people who like yourself who signed for, up for it at the beginning of the year and are still anxiously waiting but um keep your fingers crossed yeah, keep your fingers crossed. Do we lose you? I think no, no, I'm here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the long and the short of it. Um, regrettably, um, they're not, you know, it's not it's not a first come, first served. It's partly that, but also, uh, also um, the Starlink engineers looking at where people are signing up and saying, okay, you know, in order to de- debug the network, we need more people in Kern County or wherever it might be. Um, so, and uh, I, d- I don't suppose you know, I mean, we did get an estimated date in July. And I don't suppose you know if they're holding to those estimates. Oh, that's good. That's that's better than what a lot of people are hearing. Some people are saying late 21, uh, early 22. So, um, yeah. That's good news. So you're ahead of you're ahead of a lot. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> now I feel lucky. <laughs> okay, thank you. Great. I think you'll I think you'll like it. Thanks for the call. Yeah, good luck. Keep us posted if you if you get it. We love I would love to hear from more people who have yeah. uh, who have Starlink because this is uh, like I said buy local first. But if you can't buy local, um, Starlink is well worth. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's a, you might be hearing from me. I might have to call in with my. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> My Starlink results if we Starlink correspondent. Yes, yes, totally. Wow, what didn't we have time to cover tonight? There were so many things. Facebook. We hit a lot. Of, we hit a lot of important things. Is Facebook on the? It's still on the attack against Apple. Have they just? Is Mark? Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with that. You know, I just know that ninety-six percent of people yes. saying, "Don't, don't track me, Mark." Yeah, don't track me, Mark. So that's that's a that's. I'd have to say that's a definitely a. Uh, 
That's progress. Progress, but uh, no, that's a, those are pretty uh, unbeatable odds. <laughs> you know, I don't. Yeah. I think he's going to have a hard time making his case that it's going to put small businesses out of out of business or something like that. Yeah, agreed. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll keep up uh, keep up on all these stories because they're really interesting. Oh, I know. I know what I wanted to say. I heard this great thing on Jim Hightower's. Uh, he's not on KZYX anymore, but he still does a podcast, and he had a, a little bit about Jeff Bezos, and Jeff bought a new yacht. It could be the world's most expensive yacht. I think it was $500 million. It's as long as something like a, a football <laughs> field and a half. And here's the funny thing. It's such a it's such a big boat, and I guess it has sails, and it's just so elaborate that there's no place to ha- land a helicopter on Jeff Bezos's new yacht. Aww. So this is going out to all the people that think they have first world problems. What Jeff had to do is he had to buy a second boat that will has a helipad on it, and the little boat that's big enough to land a helicopter on has to follow around the big boat, so, so he can land his helicopter and then get uh, ferried over to his uh, his new yacht. Okay, that's all kinds of obscene. It is. Good night, Jim. Good night, Bob. This has been a production of KZYX Philo ninety point seven FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya ninety one point five FM, and Fort Bragg at eighty eight point one FM. Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.